Hello and welcome to this week's edition of BPM Pod, the podcast where we get behind people's music. I'm your host, Ashley Scrace Vendel. Thank you very much for joining me here on BPM Pod. Really, really great to be talking to you. You might notice that it sounds a little bit different. I'm not in the sound hall this week. It's because I've been kicked out to the bedroom, recording this from the bedroom, enjoying lockdown. Now, I can't get any studio time in or anything like that. Uh, time of recording right now is November, as you'll see when the uh, podcast is out. And uh, yeah, so it sounds a little different this time, but hopefully it still all sounds good. How are we all coping with lockdown part two? I guess a lot of listeners are in this sort of lockdown round two, the return uh, whatever you want to call it. And uh, yeah, it's it's tough on all of us, I guess. And the music scene continues to sort of die out, which um, it now seems alien to me that I would even go out to gigs, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, which seems a bit strange. And it's something we're going to talk about a little bit later with our guests uh, who are coming up a little bit later on. As you can tell from the title, you know who our guests are. They are the fantastic stoner, psychedelic, hard rock, metal, blues, rock, band i don't really know how they do it like how 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 to categorize them and maybe there is no need but i i'm just really really thankful that the guests are here and that is king buffalo sean mcveigh the guitarist founder and lead singer of king buffalo took the time to talk to bpm pod about king buffalo's beginnings and his influences and what's coming up in the king buffalo future i'm so glad to have them here it it's been just wonderful to see king buffalo release the stuff they've been doing over the past few years and Longing to Be The Mountain was their album that came out 2018, end of 2018, but I think I acquired it in 2019, beginning of 2019 and it's a stunning album. Um, Definitely go and check that out, Longing To Be The Mountain. If you're into this long sort of jam rock kind of thing, definitely go and check that out and uh, King Buffalo we'll hear a little bit more from later and you'll have a sort of gushing host of some degree because well, they're fantastic. Just a fantastic band. And there's a definite theme on this week's podcast, as we're also going to now talk very quickly about a band who have been on here two or three times, and uh, they formed in 2019. They've got a sort of gritty indie rock riff sound to them, really thunderous rhythms. Three-piece band made up of Val, Linus, and Chance. It's the band who are the friends of the show Heavy, heavy. Now they've just released their latest EP, and here's a clip of one of the songs from that. So Heavy Heavy, wonderful three-piece band, released uh, some previous stuff including the singles Born of No Wild, uh, Dead Weight and Broken Dreams, and a single called A Deadly Bite, not The Deadly Bite, A Deadly Bite. And in true Heavy Heavy fashion, they don't take themselves seriously. Well, they do, obviously, because they're releasing music and making money out of it, and, you know, they're taking themselves seriously, but they have a real nice self-referential sort of humour about them. Uh, Their latest EP, or their first sort of proper EP, is called Wait, Where's My... Oh, there it is, which 
I mean, it's brilliant. This is this is ridiculous. Like, this is a band, by the way, who have like pink flamingos everywhere, and they've got the funniest like Instagram stories you need to see. It's just so they're just having a great time together, and you could just really tell they've got this chemistry. So their EP is wait, where's my? Oh, there it is, and it was released in October. And uh, I didn't get around to seeing them live. They did a small, very socially distanced gig and uh, didn't really get around to seeing them. I wish I had. It just uh, never really worked out. But the EP is here and I'm pleased to say, well, it's fantastic. I, I don't know how else to really do a review of it that that really sort of does it justice rather than saying it's fantastic. Like, I've loved Heavy Heavy from their first stuff. From the first time there were guests on here and they played High Rise Vultures, which you can hear a sort of rare acoustic version of um, live on the podcast, to this, it's just, it's such a journey they've been through over the past like, year and a half to go from, as I said, they were playing gigs and doing things, but I was always waiting for something to be recorded like this and this EP is here. So four songs, uh, mixing and mastering by a guy called Cameron Gillette and I think it was recorded in Berlin. Four songs, so pretty quick, and uh, they're all around the sort of three and a half to four minute mark. It's all the heavy sort of Queens of the Stone Age-ish, Royal Blood-ish kind of sound that you would uh, that you would come to expect from Heavy Heavy, and if you haven't heard them, definitely check it out. Uh, but my favourite of the four is the first one, actually, one called Pretty Ghost, which you heard at the beginning. It's uh, just great. We've got a thunderous sort of drive to it and it's really angry like chance the singer i think is going to explode with anger and it's just really nice to hear high-rise vultures i also love i loved it when they did this acoustic version of it and it was really cool and here it's just so well mixed that i was listening to it through some really decent headphones some really sort of expensive decent headphones and it's been so well mixed that i thought the guitar at the beginning this very sort of long reverb like really deep sort of sound at the beginning was actually coming from inside the room where I was. It sounded like it was from behind me, kind of somewhere, and I thought it was my daughter making a weird noise or something, and, and no, it's not. It's this it's this track, and that's the guitar, and it's just so well mixed, so well done, and Chance's vocals are on point. The drums are just wonderful here, actually, and understated on that one almost, but just hard. Like I, I read this description once of someone explaining Crazy Horse, the Neil Young band to, um, Neil Young's backing band to someone else. And they said, it sounds like the drummer is trying to build a shed. And they meant that as a compliment. And I think that is a compliment. Like it's so hard and just these thuds, you know, like are so sort of definite that actually that's a really great compliment. And in on High Rise Vultures, at least it really sounds like it's thrashed, you know, like, and uh, I, I just love it. It's got such an energy to it. The sort of weakest track of the four, Red Canvas just isn't my favourite per se. I think it's the one that sounds most indie rock-ish, and that's not a bad thing at all. I'm not sort of saying that is a bad thing, but it's just probably my least favourite of the four, but I still think it's a great track. Um, if you couple this EP with their previous releases, the three singles, of which Born of No Wild I think is my favourite, and then Dead Weight and Broken Dreams sort of sounds like more modern Queens of the Stone Age sort of... Um, from their last album, Villains, kind of inspired, sort of funk, 
that heavy rock, also it's sort of funk inflections here and there. I sort of gushed about it now for two and a half minutes already, and I, I just have nothing else to say than great job, like really wonderful work that's on offer here. I really hope Heavy Heavy gets some more recognition and are able to gig again soon and get out and sort of spread the Heavy Heavy word because they're fantastic, fantastic band, and I urge you to go and listen to this EP. I really do, and it, it's just great and exactly the sort of music I was looking for and hoping for and that I find in this day and age really helps me just cope with things. So that's the latest EP from Heavy Heavy. Wait, where's my... Oh, there it is. EP, that's out now and you can find it on Bandcamp, Spotify and all the usual places. And you can also check out their website, which is heavyheavyberlin, I think, .com, heavyheavyberlin.com. And uh, Bandcamp is very much updated. That's Heavy Heavy Berlin on Bandcamp. Too high. Now continuing the sort of momentous stoner rock, heavy rock theme of this week's show. I don't want to delay anymore. It's a long interview. It's nearly an hour long, but it's totally worth it. As we go to the, well, just brilliant band. I do an intro in a minute that you'll hear and I don't want to repeat that so much, but a band I absolutely adore and I've got so many good tracks from and just so many good memories of listening to the music and doing different things and a great gig I saw them in in 2019 in Berlin and it's the band King Buffalo. I absolutely adore what they've done. This was recorded in uh, early November, I believe, no early November, uh, sorry, early October, a few weeks before the US election, which um, has now come to pass, at least until it goes through several hundred legal challenges from the sore childish loser the animated pus-filled tangerine. Um, but this was done before then. So at the beginning, I will apologise in advance. There's a couple of references that maybe now don't make so much sense, but uh, the sentiment is still there. Get out and vote if you uh, ever get the chance to. Not just now, in this election, whenever you want. If you want to make a difference, make your voice heard. And I think that that's a compelling argument for anything. So here's what happened when I spoke to the lead singer, founder and guitarist from the brilliant King Buffalo, Sean McVeigh. So way back when, when I first started this podcast, I bumped into a ton of musicians who wanted to talk about their music, what they do, their influences and so on. And it seemed like I quickly got into some kind of stoner, psych, blues rock crowd. And one band I kept hearing quite a bit about, who I hadn't actually heard much about by that point, except Orion and a few other releases, was the next band here, King Buffalo. King Buffalo, without bullshitting, are one of the most exciting heavy blues psych rock bands out there. And I say that as a genuine fan. I first got to see King Buffalo live in 2019 after binging on their releases, Orion and Longing to Be the Mountain. And ever since then, I've been dying to get them on the podcast and actually came very close to it 
that fate kind of intervened. So a couple of EPs and a couple of LPs later, I'm really, really pleased to welcome the singer, uh, guitarist and founder of King Buffalo to BPM Pod, and that's Sean McVeigh. Sean, welcome on today to this episode. And uh, how are you doing? Doing all right. Um, yeah, like we said right before we started, just surviving the hellscape of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I kind of wished we'd get a break from some bad news in 2020, and then something else just piles on top a little bit. It's hard to, hard to keep positive, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's an interesting one for sure. That that that's like the kindest euphemism I guess I can use for the year so far. Interesting. <laughs> and actually, this wasn't something I wanted to talk about, but it's probably worth noting that we're recording this. What what are we now? Two weeks before the election? Uh yeah. Actually, I'm and. Uh, Today or tomorrow, I'm going to cast my vote early. So I don't know when this is going to air, but if anyone's in the States, vote and vote early in person if you can. I might just clip out that bit so, so that right. gets out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we might be waking up to another hellscape or not. Let's let's hope not. I truly hope not. And uh, But let's see. Let's see how we go. But let's not get too depressing right now. We're going to talk yeah. a little bit about the world and the situation later. Uh, we're speaking to you from your home, right? Which is where exactly? Uh, I live at, me and my girlfriend have a house in Rochester, New York. And that's where the band started, right? I'm correcting. Yeah, we are all um, grew up in the area uh, just outside of the city. And then as we kind of, as often goes in our 20s, we en- ended up living in the city and met through very, you know, just friends in the music scene and we're in different bands and things like that and eventually formed our own band. So let me get that history while we're on it, actually. Um, you formed in, what, 2013? Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. And I heard a story that this band kind of came about to fill in for some cancelled tour dates. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Or have I? is that an urban myth? No, that's, that's the truth. Um, so Scott, our drummer, was in another previous band, um, and me and my and the bass player Dan were in a separate band, um, kind of similar genres but slightly different. And we, you know, we're like friendly rivals in in town. Um, Scott's band had a tour coming up, uh, and in support of a, I think it was their second record at the time. And you know, there was internal conflict, um, and the band was kind of exploded um, about a month or two before they were supposed to do this tour. Um, so Scott had an idea. It was him and one of the guitar players slash singers of his other band, um, which was called Velvet Elvis. Um, Scott asked me and Dan if we could fill in on secondary guitar and bass and we could do the tour dates um, and just kind of at least get through and try to get rid of all of the copies of the record that they had just pressed Mm up or at least some of them so we started jamming and it was going really well we didn't really work on the material we were supposed to be learning i mean we did a little bit but (laughs) you know practices ended up being you know three hour jam sessions and they were really fun and exciting um and then we kind of got to the point where we had written a few songs that they were fully fleshed out and like well why don't we just be a band um and so we did and so we were kind of doing this weird thing where we were our set for that tour 
um, was like a couple of Velvet Elvis songs and, the, and then the rest was King Buffalo songs, the stuff that was on that 2013 demo. Um, so it was like Pocket Full of Knife, uh, Providence Eye and In Dim Light. Um, and then some Velvet Elvis songs sprinkled in. And so we would show up to places and be like, well, are you King Buffalo or Velvet Elvis? And it was, it was pretty funny and really kind of stupid. Yeah. Goodness sakes, probably not the best marketing move ever. Like, are you two oh. bands? Yeah, it, it was, I mean, luckily, like when we say on tour, it was like, you know, we're playing Wednesday nights in like Alabama to the bartender, you know, like, it wasn't <laughs> like, like, we made no money. Nobody was really came to most of the shows. Like there was maybe like out of the whole three weeks or so, there was maybe like total, I would say there's probably under like 150 people added up from every show on that tour. Oh, wow. You know, like it was, it was a shitty tour, uh, <laughs> but it was fun. It was really fun. We piled in my uncle. I borrowed my uncle's RV and actually, um, so Scott's previous band, they had toured a couple times and they had met, all them witches on a previous mm. tour and so that's who we actually did that tour with because they, they kind of booked scott and and ben i think it was ben that booked it for them they booked this tour and so we all ended up piling into my uncle's rv and bumming around the uh coastal southeast united states and it was a great time let's just take a small detour while we're there like when did you first then feel like wow actually we're making it like we're stepping out from this three song demo we're actually sort of making it now um well so it was pretty interesting actually so we did that tour um and we had that three song demo and on that tour um i, I mentioned so it was we were a four piece at the time and on that demo we were a four piece um and our friend randall who was also doing vocals and guitar work he met a girl while on that tour and uh decided you know like i i just need to like move out of rochester and i'm gonna move and try to start you know see what happens in in this new city and you know we had no hard feelings it it, it ended up being a great move for him and for us it ended up being a good move but we didn't really know there was a, a large amount of time in there like right after he moved that we didn't really know what to do um mm -hmm. to fill up the space as a three-piece we're like how are we going to uh, you know, his, his style on guitar was very atmospheric and he would do a lot of the, the really jangly stuff that was, mm. you know, a lot of ear candy. And so I was like, how am I going to be able to do things like that? How are we going to like stay a psychedelic spacious band mm. while also while losing such that big layer? Um, so it really was about a year or two of just experimenting, just jamming, writing, trying to figure out what our, what we were going to be. And over the course of that couple of years of doing stuff, I, we had released a split um, uh, for STB Records, um, but we were still kind of figuring out our sound. And then eventually we we stumbled across the material for Orion. And that's when it really like for to really boil it down. I think Orion was the real like establishment of of us as a band and what we figured out our sound was going to be. That was when we're like, OK, now we know what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. Now now we can like start to build. Yeah. So it sounds like you sort of came to your sound very like organically, experimentally almost like you're just kind of trying to figure it out, but what influence did, did you sort of come with? Like what have been your sort of musical inspirations? Um, we all would probably say slightly different things. I mean, we're all around the same age and we all kind of grew up listening to 
a lot of like you know the great classic rock bands you know zeppelin sabbath pink floyd um you know deep purple all these amazing bands that i'm sure like every psychedelic stoner rock band lists as the foundation hendrix you know like that's definitely in our teenage years was a lot of um a lot of what shaped us but then we were also i know for myself i was also into a lot of the sort of you know I guess I'm going to, I'm going to admit this. I was into like new metal is like a mm -hmm. 15 year old. I was like you know, system of a down, um, rage against the machine. Uh, you know, I will, I, I will say it. I loved corn and limp biscuit. Oh <laughs> man, man, you have said the magic word. Yeah. You really have limp biscuit comes yeah. up on this podcast so frequently. Really? Like, really incredibly. So actually, I can go off on a tangent on Limp Biscuit for a we while. We could do that. We totally <laughs> could do that. Yeah. I mean, I've revisited as an adult and I will say it still slaps. Those riffs are incredible. Um, if you can like detach from some of like the sort of like comic book sort of like humor, you know, like the teenage humor, which they were definitely, they knew they were being like, Oh yeah. Funny. There was, it was very sort of ironic and self-referential, right? Like the rhythm section was unbelievable. Like they were just like, slamming um so yeah uh <laughs> limp biscuit significant <laughs> other it's still i think that that deserved record of the year people people say it didn't it did the yeah. rock record of the year it won it and just rightfully so go back and listen to it yeah. uh yeah uh so you come with a new metal influence at that time as well yeah a little it? bit you know i was like a 15 year old kid in the suburbs you know music was like made for me you know it was like mm. marketed directly to me um and so I, you know i was like playing to guitar to a lot of that sort of stuff and you know and like you know i was into punk rock and all, all this diff all these different things um but when i really started to figure out what i liked to do playing music um probably wasn't until my mid to, like early to mid 20s and that's when i i got in late to the game i got into dead meadow um and their first record when i ended up hearing it for the first time which was probably 2010 so it was some years after it was released it changed the way i looked at at music and like i was like wait people are making music like this like now like mm. awesome you know like, mm. you can do this like you can do this stuff and it, it changed the way i looked at everything and changed the way i played um and that became sort of like the big building block and i got really into bands like pontiac uh black mountain and those were sort of the things that you know they were the bands that were doing it at the time in the sort of late 2000s early 2010s that were like really had a you know good grip on the genre and really killing it and so that's when i decided like oh yeah i can do i, I want to do something i want to use that as my starting point Dead star calling it 
What was what was your musical journey though? Like personally, when did you sort of start getting interested or playing or what, what sort of kicked you off? I um, well, I was always like a musical kid. Like I did, you know the like played trumpet in school and I was in like the choirs and stuff like that. So I always did those sort of things. Um, and when I was 15, my mom got me an electric guitar for Christmas. And I had never, I never really asked for one. It was kind of surprising. She surprised me with it. Um, because anytime I'd see a guitar, I'd always be kind of intrigued by it. And I'd want to go over and figure out how to pluck a few notes on it. And she could tell that it was something I was interested in. You know, I, I loved rock music, uh, and was into overall like performing and was into music. So she, she just, Got went on a whim and got me this electric guitar and this little combo amp. It was like a package deal, the Ibanez GAX seventy with a little <laughs> practice amp. It had a rubbish little practice amp, right? Yeah. Like I remember Dude. that. But is like I remember this moment. So I'm like figuring out how to use it. I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. And I remember I was like, "What is this button?" And it, it said "gain." Ah, oh, like, yeah, gain button. And I hit it and went, and I was like, "Holy shit! Like, this is incredible!" Like. You know, and I'm just like making horrific noise, but it was like, you know, when I figured out like what distortion could do, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is so cool. And then, you know, then I, I basically at that point on, I was just in my basement in my room playing along to all these records that I loved every night. That's like what I would do. I get home from school and I'd play my guitar until dinner time, eat dinner, go back down and play guitar until bedtime. Um, and it took a few lessons here and there. Um, uh to learn some basic technique and scales and things like that um when i ended up going to college graduated high school went to college uh, uh suny fredonia for sound recording technology and that's where i learned audio engineering and excuse me things like that um and i actually kind of got away for guitar, from guitar for a while um and it was more into production and mm. i was actually like you know into like software instruments and beat creation and, and things like that. Uh, and then I didn't really get back into playing guitar and, and band stuff until I graduated college and moved back home to Rochester uh, and met up with some, had a friend from high school who needed a guitar player for a band. And that's when I started playing in bands and got really into guitar again. Do you still have the first guitar you got or not? I do. It's in pieces actually. So oh. I've I've had this um this plan for years now where I want to like I want to like hot rod it and do all these weird things so I've actually been stripping it so right now I have just the body on a on like a crappy sawhorse that I'm trying to strip it with a heat gun and I want to sand it down I want to refinish it I want to put a new neck and like really like I don't know see what I have this idea. Maybe I'll make it into a baritone. Maybe I'll like adjust the scale length. I don't know. I, I kind of want to just do something with it. I don't ever, I don't, I'll never get rid of it, even though it's in pieces right now. And right now it's just a pile of garbage, but maybe it's same, no, same as me. I, have, I still remember my first guitar. It's a Squire Strat with a part of a package with a shit little Marshall amp with it. I kind of remember what the amp is called. It's terrible, but similar setup. It just had sort of volume, a gain control and a button. That was it, actually, I think. I think that was all it had, nothing else. And as soon as I found that button, I was like, yeah, I'm fucking cool. Like, now I'm yeah. like, I mean, it sounded dreadful. My dad actually said to me that, because I wouldn't say I'm a good guitarist, but definitely got better as I got older. 
And he said, of course, ironically, you're better now that you've moved out of the house. Like, <laughs> <laughs> terrible at the time. But you feel fucking cool, right? And that's kind yeah. of, that's part of the, surely that's part of the sort of, um, that's part of what sort of inspired, that inspires everyone, I guess, right? Is that they feel like they're a rock star. I guess that's kind of half of the motivation. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember the feeling I had when I when I hit that gain button. And like all of a sudden I felt like Eddie Van Halen or, or, or like Hendrix, you know, like, and I'm just like mashing all of the strings, like, <laughs> you know, just like horrible, but, but it's like, yeah, I feel so, you know, like it's, it's just like them. It sounds just like them. And you know, of course it doesn't, it's awful, but yeah, exactly. You feel that you have that moment of like, okay, this is really cool. And I want it. I want to, I want more of this, you know, I want to do yeah, this. Exactly. You, you get, you've been bitten at that point and you kind of want to keep going. I'd like to talk about longing uh, to be the mountain for a moment, actually, if that's all right. Sure. Uh, um, now, I loved the album, and um, it was one of my faves, actually, when it came out. And I'd, I'd heard of Ryan previously, but then I must admit, kind of dropped off a little bit, the radar a bit, and um, it sort of re really reignited this, like, passion, really, for King Buffalo, actually. Uh, Quickening is one of my favorite tracks, just in sort of full disclosure on there, but... Um, the one I really love when I'm driving or walking or whatever is Eye of the Storm, actually. It just, at the end, it really comes in hard. Like, I was really not seeing it go that way towards the end. I was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, it's going to pick up. Oh, wow. Okay, that's that's pretty fucking cool. But you keep coming up with these drops on like everything you sort of release, all of these sort of next levels that sort of keep going. How do you do that? Is it sort of... From the beginning, you're like, oh, okay, now we're going to build up to this. Or is it just like you say, sort of jamming, experimentation, you go along with it and find something you want? Because you're always sort of building and pushing onwards. And I just wonder how that how that comes about in the songwriting process. It's definitely the result of a lot of the, a lot of jamming. 
Um, and particularly for Longing to Be the Mountain, we really wanted to play with that as as sort of like that was like sort of the main thing we wanted to to toy with on the record was get really quiet and beautiful and 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 mellow in spots and then have a brick wall come out, you know and like mm-hmm. and then also be so we wanted to be our, our most serene and calm but then we also wanted to be our most at 11 on that mm-hmm. record um but when when we're jamming you know like a lot of these songs start as like 20 minute jams and then we have to cut them down but like in the course of that 20 minute jam you can't just be at 11 the whole time that's you know that's it's really boring to do and no one would ever want to listen to it so a lot of it would come as like we're just doing things and just feeling it out and in these jams we have a lot of naturally we have a lot of these peaks and valleys and stuff and um yeah so i guess i think i answered that question yeah it's a lot of jamming (laughs) yeah how was the tour for that album actually i remember in 2019 i was in berlin at a place called barter house um and that was a crazy gig, actually. It was a strange gig because the lights wouldn't come on. Like, I don't know if you remember that at all. Like the lights uh, at the beginning I wouldn't come on. People I had do. to shine their phones to like light the stage. It was bizarre. I'm like, I mean, it uh, all blends into one a little bit. Right? Because I think we our last time in Berlin was was it Cassiopeia? Is that in Berlin? Yeah, no, but it's down in that area. It's the same area. So it's just opposite there. Right. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. was that's why a part of why I'm mixing it up because it's in that yeah. same complex, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, yeah. And I remember I I vaguely remember um the issue with the lights. But to be honest, so much of the time, like we we encourage the lighting guys to do whatever craziness they want. Um, so it's sometimes like it we're kind of used to that. I think I do remember kind of being like I think I said something during the show. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Hey, hey, is it, can we get a little more light? And the guy <laughs> shook his head and said, no. and I remember why <laughs> I, I was standing behind where he was and I could see the screen and it was like windows needs to update. And it's like scheduled for now. Oh, I was like, that God. is the worst. Like, no, really? Like it was pretty crazy. But that tool—I t- totally remember this now. Like in hindsight, now that <laughs> I had totally forgotten all about it. Now that you've mentioned it, it's all coming back to me. Oh God! But that no, was the same. T- was funny what, you know, things that happen on tour. Well, yeah, and there was another thing I think I saw on the same tour. Did your van break down somewhere? Like I think I saw your van broke down on uh, social media yes, somewhere. I think it was that tour. Yeah, I think. Um, I think it was out in like rural Poland. I think. How did yeah, that resolve itself in the end? I did wonder. Way, honestly, I think our, our van has broke down on almost. I think we've been to Europe three times and I think two out of three we've had <laughs> breakdown, um, which it just happens, you know, uh, that, that one you're talking about was we were in a, a Vario, um, which is like a sleeper van. And I don't remember what had happened. I don't remember what was wrong with it by any means, but I remember we had to push it to get it into a, uh, like a gas station and I had slipped on some gravel and fell and hit my knee and I didn't really do any damage, but the way I felt it like swelled up, like m- comically large, like my kneecap was really <laughs> huge. Like where I had, like my pants were swelled, like bursting at my knee. It was really funny. Um, and there wasn't any real damage. It just like burst, like some sort of fluid sack and it just like exploded. Um, and then on our last tour, which is our most recent one in Europe, there was an issue with, um, with the ad blue, um isn't it something with like i think it's like diesel engines in europe there's like an additive you have to have that like reduces the carbon emissions it's like some sort of system that cleans it and so if you if your vehicle 
loses that um you get like smashed with a huge fine if they if you get caught like so we couldn't we couldn't drive like the the rental company was like we can't we can't drive with this like we could lose we could lose our license to do this sort of thing if we get caught so we had to wait until that could get fixed and we sucked because we had to miss a couple shows um but you know not these things things happen though right come on yeah I want to talk very quickly about uh, Dead Star too, because um, longer to be the mounted. While I while I really loved it, it was um, it, it was definitely sort of blends these different influences here and there, and sort of experiments, like you said, with the peaks and troughs, with the sort of valleys and mountains and stuff. But Dead Star, I would say, and I think you'll probably agree, is is a lot more experimental, especially in terms of riff phrasing and time signatures and stuff. Did that come about also by a jamming phase or was that a conscious decision to be like, no, let's break the mold a little bit. There was definitely a conscious decision. Um, I was feeling kind of stuck. Uh, I didn't, you know, I, and as far as like creative ideas, I didn't know I was having a hard time coming up with something that was different than things we had done before. So the first thing I did was I, made a tuning for dead star so the whole the whole record is in an alternate tuning um which is nothing crazy it's just uh d standard so it's everything's mm-hmm. dropped a whole step except for um the the what would be the f string the f string yeah. is yeah. tuned back up to g so um which made leads really hard and weird <laughs> yeah. but it allowed me to do sort of weird power chord shapes in the middle two strings up high well, I'm very easily. Uh, so yeah, I've made that tuning for for the record, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna write. This is my rule, and I'm gonna set for myself. The whole record is gonna be done in this tuning, and that will force me to do some different things and maybe some different voicings than uh, that I wouldn't normally use. Um, Red Star One and Red Star One was just the product of a long jam, and then Red mm. Star Two, I kind of went home and put together. Uh, Okay, we'll we'll transition into that, and then yeah, so that was definitely a conscious decision. We wanted to do stuff we hadn't done before, and see what would happen. Mm. And how did the rest of the band react when you come with this? Then with these set of rules, like okay, here's the tune in. I want to sort of fuck around with some time signatures. I want to fuck around with bits and pieces and go in different directions to what we've normally done. Do they normally just sort of jump in and go, yeah, sure, we trust um, you? Well, I mean, Dan didn't really change his tuning, so he stayed in regular. Yeah, regular okay. D standard. Um, and then Scott, you know, he's he's like, oh yeah, all time signatures. That sounds fun. Like he's a drummer, so like mm-hmm. you know, like playing uh, in weird time signatures is kind of like I think like most drummers sort of like that's what they want. Like they want to they want to do weird stuff. 
Um, and then it's usually the guitar player or bass player is like, no, do a simple four on the floor, you know, <laughs> yeah. or like, 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 ah, fine. You know, like, um, so he was into the idea. Um, and yeah, we initially wanted to just, we were going to have it be like a 20 minute EP and just like put it out. It was kind of going to be along the lines of repeater of like, mm -hmm. well, let's just, let's experiment for a couple, you know, 20 minutes and put it out. But then it just kind of kept growing um, into this thing and ended up becoming like 37 minutes of all these different, different things. I have a couple more questions and then actually I'm going to jump into a couple of audience questions if that's okay. Cause you do have some fans here and they submitted a few, um, which would be great to get your thoughts on. But um, just while we're talking about Dead Star quickly, Ecliptic, I think it's called, if that's how you pronounce it correctly. That That's your sort of more synth-driven one, which I really didn't expect to hear. It sounds like a movie theme from like a John Carpenter film or something. What what brought that about? Um, honestly, so that's, uh, I mean, I've been a huge fan of John Carpenter and I love like uh, movie scores and things like that my whole life it's something i've really been into and you know since i've been creeping in a little bit more and more into uh king buffalo i mean they you know we have that synth track i'm going to be the mountain uh, like the two minute synth intro and we've been incorporating them more and more and when we were listening through uh the dead star without without it initially it wasn't going to be a part of it but it is something I had been messing around with at home in this very room that I'm doing this interview in. Something I had been messing around with. I had this that little synth line um, that's the main line for the whole song. And I was like, I kind of like this. I don't know. Maybe I'll do something with it at some point. But I'd been messing around with it. And we listened to the record without it. Um, I was like, I don't know. It kind of needs something to go from, what is it? Uh, Ida Karine into go, Or is it vice versa? I can't remember the order. Um, it's Red Star 1 and 2, then Echo of a Waning Star, then Ecliptic. Okay, so I felt like we felt like it needed something to transition, to give it more of like a... We like all of our releases to have sort of a like a, you know, feel linked and to feel like a journey. It's like, well, I feel like it's missing something to get from Echo of a Waning Star to Ida Karane. Um, and I was like, I mentioned to the guys like, hey, I have this idea that might work. I don't know how you feel about it. And I put together... Uh, a version of it in like a day and I sent it to the guys and then they listen to it in context They're like oh yeah that totally like fills that you know connects the dots there um, and they were like yeah mix it and put it on the record and so I did it's interesting you still talk about making an album in that way actually as a sort of journey in itself when generally speaking I would say a lot of people that I end up speaking to see it just as a collection of singles that they then sort of release and then compile together so really the album is more like a compilation um, I, I, is that again I guess that's a very conscious decision that you want to still make this very album oriented kind of approach yeah I mean I think I th I think for our genre I think we'd be doing a lot of fans a disservice if it was just a collection of songs um, I think and especially like vinyl is such an important medium for us hmm. that you know it's you can't you don't just skip a song no. on, on vinyl like we want it to be kind of like a more cinematic sit down and experience it experience um mm -hmm. so yeah it's definitely something like every if you really i mean you can link follow the lyrics of each record and you can follow the story of there's yeah. usually a main character and there's a little you know thing like i guess like our our attempt at a concept record mm. cool no that's cool um 
you mentioned at the start of this interview and we spent sort of half an hour now talking around it and not getting back to the hellscape <laughs> that you mentioned but maybe we should touch on it a minute how are you and the band sort of coping through this you've been doing quite a lot with your quarantine sessions and stuff but um how are you sort of navigating these bizarre times really um i mean it's to be honest i think we're doing pretty good um as far as like the three of us as a band it sucked it hit like the art in the states the shutdown hit i think it was like right after we released dead star and we had i think at this point we would have gone and come back from three tours um so we were really disappointed um with having to move those you know having mm-hmm. to move the date you know disappointed with the lack of um foresight and uh aptitude of dealing with something like this in the united states it's you know not to get too political on it but <laughs> um, you know every time i see someone without a mask i get a little pissed off when i'm thinking like you know i can't go back and i can't go back to work until you know we can get this thing under control um but so we 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 did the quarantine sessions, which was really fun. We actually did that right before, um, once we realized things were really about to get screwy, we actually, rec- we, we did like plan on that right away because we knew we needed to do something. Excuse me. Then we started, um, we took a little bit of time off uh, just to like, you know, see how things were going. Um, and started, then we started jamming again and writing we have a very luck we're lucky enough to have a really large practice space um so we can stay all really far apart stay relatively safe um and um you know we're wearing masks and jamming and writing and we have now a lot of material that we're working on and hoping hoping to um have some interesting announcements in the near future ah you can't reveal what they are just yet then i guess i was going to ask what your next steps are yeah 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 i mean there's still a lot to a lot to iron out on our end before we make any lofty goals that or lofty uh, um claims that we wouldn't be able to follow through of course course. i guess you're looking forward to getting back out and playing live though when this eventually happens but i guess a fear that a lot of people have who are musicians or not just people who are interested in the arts is just what sort of landscape is going to be left yeah yeah i mean it's um i don't know man it's it's for lack of a better word it's a it's it's scary it's stark at this point um even if miraculously if you know the government was like hey you know we're saying it's safe you can go on tour well is it is it that safe i mean touring is really in, in itself like extremely dangerous as far as like health stuff goes you know shaking hands you're going into dirty sweaty rock clubs every Mm -hmm. night gas stations like you're you're just you know carrying stuff all over the place but would people feel safe to go is another thing so like would it would it be worth it if they're like okay well you can tour you just have to have 50 percent capacity well for low to mid-level bands like you know 50 percent capacity that you know if you're playing to if the club is a small club that can hold 80 to 100 people and you're, you know, you're barely scraping by if that's a sellout as mm-hmm. it is. Now, if you got 40 to 50 people, that's, you know, that's even worse. It's, is, is it economically viable for a band to tour if they can't have mm-hmm. these venues packed? Can these venues operate if they're not filled? You know, can mm-hmm. they, they have bills to pay? So it's really, 
I don't know. It's scary for what the future is going to hold. You, uh, I don't think anyone can really accurately predict it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, the the best thing you could say is that it's interesting to think about what the future will be, but it's also pretty scary. Yeah, pretty pretty scary stuff. Um, and then another point that somebody brought up who was speaking to the other day said, "Well, even if you can tour." you've got to think what you're asking people to do by asking them to come to your gig. Like you're asking them to congregate in a way that they shouldn't like exactly. this. So you've got a bit of a responsibility yourself for safety of other people. And I was just like, yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought of that dynamic actually. Yeah. I mean, we've had, you know, we've had a few like direct messages from fans and people who have varying degrees of what they think this thing is and things like that. And there are a lot of people that I'm sure would say like, I'd go no problem. I'd go. Hmm. And, and I'm like, okay. But even if we found out if one person got really sick, that's not really worth it for us. Like I would feel terrible. That's not, hmm. that's not something hmm. that I would feel comfortable doing. You know, I, I that would be awful. Hmm. Um, I, I love what we do. I take it very seriously. We all do. But at the end of the day, we realize that it's not, you know, it's not, it's not the same as a grocery store staying open. It's not the same as a, you know, uh, I don't know. Like there's a lot of things that are more essential. We know we're not essential where mm. we take it very seriously. We love what we do and we want to be doing it, but we want, like, if it's not safe for everyone, then it's not worth it. That's a really realistic and refreshing way to look at it. That's uh, really great to hear actually. But in this sort of time and in the future, before we just jump into some audience questions, uh, where can people really keep up to date with what you're up to? Are you doing any more sort of these quarantine kind of lockdown sessions or is the best place just to keep your eyes and ears peeled for more King Buffalo? Uh, definitely keep the eyes and ears peeled. Um, I, at some point we probably will try to do another type of quarantine sessions, but let's just say um, we have some uh, irons in the fire and we are working on some things and we'll hopefully have some announcements soon. Um, and that will make you know make those announcements via whatever social media platforms people read or if they're on the email list or anything. Um, yeah, so that we have some priorities that we've set for ourselves and some internal deadlines and things should be starting to develop pretty quickly here. And we're really actually really excited for some of these plans that we've been spitballing for 2021.
I'm gonna throw at you a few sort of quick-ish audience questions that I got. Got a handful here, well, like three or so, if that's all right. Um, sure. Let's get your view on them. First up comes from a guy called Sebastian, and Sebastian wonders what kind of tips would you have for an underground or typically not commercial, in inverted commas, band? How do you grind away at your genre, whatever that is, and stay motivated? Um, tip number, I guess I have a couple tips. One is um, make it a priority. So like uh, make doing it the most important thing in your life, um, whether that, so like don't take a, and this is easier said than done, um, but like don't take a career you really love that will be difficult to get away from when you need to go on tour you know so if it's like you have this job you really love and you are afraid to lose it it's going to be pretty difficult to make your band a priority um mm -hmm. which is fine and i i totally don't knock anyone for making that that decision um but i do think the most important thing early on for a band is to hit the road as much as you as much as you can even if it's just for weekend trips um get in a van with your friends and go and play play shows it will start to tell you really quick what are the things you need to shore up within your group um both musically and just like interpersonally you'll start to figure out how to live on the road um and how to uh set up tear down really fast how to turn on and perform every night um you'll meet a lot of people that's how you know that's that's how these things start you, you meet another band in another city that you become friends with you start trading things start happening um and just just keep doing it like i said keep it a priority even if it's going to take years and years for it to become anything resembling financially viable it's gonna <laughs> um but if you can if you can pay the bills some some other way and then just make it an important thing and just keep doing it um one thing i always you know, I'm fully aware of is in Rochester, we are surrounded by a lot of amazing musicians to big music town. So many people play. Um, and there's countless players that would play Dan Scott and myself into the ground. Like we are not even close to being good players, but what we are good at is we made this a priority and stuck to it for a really long time. Um, and it's hard because life, life, can pull people in different directions and that's that's okay um but i just i just think we're a product of persistence really more than talent or uh anything like that and so make it a priority and tour as much as you can make it a priority tour as much as you can nice nice simple advice straight to yeah. the point took me a long time to get around <laughs> <laughs> we'll do the we'll do the abridged version i'll just cut that in um I've got a couple more questions before you go. Um, a question here from Leon. Uh, said, big fan of the band. Uh, thank you very much for your music. Thank you, Leon. It's very nice to say. He says, I detect some influences of Queens of the Stone Age and Neil Young in some of your music as well. Some of Neil Young's grungiest stuff. Actually, I can totally see that. Um, but he wonders, how much Pink Floyd do you listen to? Oh, <laughs> is his question. Uh, a lot. <laughs> like all, all of it um no there was i i mean you know my number one band of all time is pink floyd so that's definitely for me you know that they're up here it's you know in in a lot of ways like i 
I'd like to think to myself, would would da- uh, would Dave and Roger be proud of this, or would they be ashamed? Of <laughs> so, uh, sometimes, so yeah, they're, they're a lot. And I mean, they were so far ahead of their time, right? When you tell people, like when some of their music was released, my my wife, the only thing she knows of Pink Floyd really is "Wish You Were Here" because of various cover versions, and it's just a nice track and more ballady kind of one, but. I tell her when that was released and then I say to her, oh yeah, but then Dark Side of the Moon was released here. And she's just like, what? I'm like, oh yeah, it sounds like it was recorded last week. It was <laughs> it was actually like, what is Dark Side of the Moon now? 40 years old? Maybe? No, 50, right? It's got to be 50 years old. Getting 72? 72? 72? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, that record, uh, I think is like the, you know, it's, it's incredible. It was, a, it's everyone that was on it did their job to perfection you know like everyone on the whole record you know the tape operator like every everyone was at such a high level and it's the kind of thing that is so rare you know mm-hmm. um, just like a like a snapshot of excellence uh that was you know i get i get like emotional thinking about it like mm-hmm. like the fact that like everyone did such a good job you know um so yeah i, I could go on and on about dark side <laughs> Not my favorite Floyd album, I must admit. Actually, I yeah, think uh, I, I'm gonna. All right, I'm gonna debate you real quick on this. It's, go on, go on. I'll say it's not your favorite, but it is the best. I, I okay, yeah, and I'll, I, I'll grant you that. Like classic rock radio ruined it for people, but it is the best. Like, there's a reason why classic rock radio ruined that record for people, and it's because start to finish, it is just incredible. So I'll say that, like, it's not the one I always reach for to listen to. And for years, I would have said a different record. You know, I would have said metal or animals or like, no, no, dark side. That's for like, um, I've kind of come full circle, you know, like it's hipster cred to say the other records are better, but really dark side is the better record. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Definitely. But the one I actually pick up most nowadays is probably there's some I really don't like the division bell. Yeah. Um, and then there's some of the earliest stuff like Pipers at uh, the Gates of Dawn. Is mm, the, the wall? I'm actually like, I've gone off these days. And it, like you said, metal I do listen to a lot. And wish you were here. I really do like that one so much. Um, maybe it's just as I've got mellower as I've got older or something. But the great record. It's, it's just a fantastic record. Uh, last reader question, and it's a. Uh, it's something I didn't want to touch on when we were talking in the interview itself, because I know that you've done quite a lot of um, discussion on this in other podcasts, and I saw a really in-depth rig rundown as well. Uh, this comes from uh, a listener of ours. Um, what is, out of all of your pedals, your favorite pedal and your favorite guitar? Now, the guitar answer, I think, might be quite limited, because I think you only use one these days, right, primarily. Um, I've... Yeah, I let's say I have I have three guitars. Um, one was my main guitar, like the guitar for a very long time. Um, I'll go do the quick guitar rundown. Um, so Orion was all done on my Strat when I had single coils. Um, repeater, Longing to Be the Mountain, and Dead Star were all done with my Hackstrom, which has been my main guitar, that gold sparkly Hackstrom with humbuckers. Um, I recently, but I did tour with, uh, in Europe with my strap with filter trons in it because I had a better road case that could handle the airplane for that guitar that then I did for my Hackstrom. Um, now I've recently put new pickups in my strat and I love it. I put 
I have a, a pearly gates in there and it's sounding incredible so that might be my main guitar for a while now okay. we'll see um, and then I also have another Hagstrom that I just put some new p90s in and that's also really exciting so um, that's part of my thing I think for some of this new material I want to try a different guitar and, and you switch mm. things up a bit mm. um, as far as pedals being my favorite what one could you not live without like really the one I couldn't I couldn't live without is my Strymon timeline just because anyone who's listened to us knows that like delay is everywhere all the time never no delay so <laughs> I can't I can't have like I have to have that pedal I have to have that delay machine with all of my presets and I have to be able to to do the things I do with it um it does what it does great it I I don't know I can't say it's my favorite or that I love it it's not that really exciting because it's just doing my delays um I was a huge fan of lightning boy audio's overdrive pedals um I still use them. I'm starting to experiment with some other ones just to get a little different type of color. Um, but really everything else comes and goes out of my board. My reverb pedal is basic Hall of Fame reverb that it's just there. My phaser is just there. I sometimes use it if I want a phaser, but everything else is constantly in and out. But the Hall of Fame um, pedal is pretty solid. Like I have one and I, yeah. and I, I kind of see ones that are more expensive, but I'm kind of like, what am I paying for? That's different. Like it's solid. No, I don't really yeah. see why I get rid of it. Great on it. The, the, I, I only use the hall setting. It sounds fantastic. The only complaint I have with them is the stupid foot switches, which uh, <laughs> but there's stupid proprietary foot switches that if they break, you have to basically just buy a new freaking pedal instead so of, I just, didn't know that. Didn't yeah, know that. Like those switches, I believe they have little op amps in them. So like you can't, you know, it's not like, a lot of other pedals you can just swap out with a five dollar switch no the pedals basically they'll fix it but is it worth it <laughs> i, I no, literally like didn't know thought. that no uh yeah so like my hall of fame is pretty much on its last leg i've been using it for years and the, that switch is like i have to like to like get it to do anything <laughs> well sean that's all the audience questions we got and we've gone way over time for what i booked you in for but um I just want to say thank you very much for taking the time to uh, talk to me. Been really dying to get you and the, well, the band just on this podcast for a long time and uh, tried to set that up when you came to Berlin in the past, but everything went a bit crazy because of the whole lighting thing. You ran out of time and it was just a bit crazy. I, I, remember, I remember I came up after the show and was just like, oh, can we do it? And you were like, we don't have time. Like, I've got to get out of here. Sorry, man. Yeah, we had to leave like immediately after the show to do like a 10 hour drive or something ridiculous to get to another festival or something yeah yeah but really thank you very much for taking the time to be here and uh you can always check out kingbuffalo.com and your music's everywhere you can listen to it right it's on spotify bandcamp youtube everywhere these days thank you very much wherever you get your psychedelic jams (laughs) yeah (laughs) thank you so much yeah thank you for having me man this was fun